Now, if you're going to clap, let's clap. Come on, give glory to God. And Tyler, I hope that is in way to you a further affirmation of your welcome to this community of faith at First Baptist. So great to have him on the team and what a fantastic job he is already doing in his leadership role. Generation to generation. This is our theme until our culminating weekend in October 23rd, wherein we will gather to celebrate 175 years of God's faithfulness to this church, First Baptist Church, Carrollton. I'm mindful of the fact that this concept of generation to generation has been built upon this notion of the family of God. Who here remembers tracing their own family ancestry, perhaps back in grade school. Maybe we can zoom in on this here for all the people that are watching online as well as those in Second Baptist. It's the regal oak tree. You've seen it. You've perhaps even given it to your students if you've taught a time or two. And then there's this one, not just a tree, but an apple tree. And in each and every apple goes the names of mommy, daddy, grandparents, aunts and uncles, and the like. We fill this out with such neatness and precision. But if you've lived long enough to experience the true dynamics of family, you know that art does not imitate life. Our families at least do not feel as succinct as this diagram shows. Perhaps a better parallel is that family trees, and specifically the family of God, better feel like kudzu than an apple tree. Are you with me? Kudzu, which is abundant here in Carrollton, Georgia. It's prickly, it's pervasive, and it's hard to eradicate. Allow me to put this in another light, as illustrated by a recent article in Time Magazine, one who has the name of Philip Cohen and who wrote The Family, Diversity, Inequality of Social Change, writes this article, which is entitled, There's No Such Thing as a Typical Family. He cites that in the last 50 years, the three biggest changes in family life are the following, the decline of marriage, the rise of number of women in the paid workforce, and the whole stew of blended, remarried, and cohabitating families. Families headed by single moms, whether divorced, widowed, or never married, are now almost as numerous as families that have a stay-at-home mom and a breadwinner dad. Yes, it has changed a bit since we've done these projects, and certainly it feels different, doesn't it? I liken it to the following change. In the 1950s and 60s, in the days of black and white television, one of the most famous families ever portrayed on the screen was the Cleaver family. You with me? There was Wally, the older brother, and always Bieber, who was getting into trouble, and the mom and dad, who were always shown in their bedroom with two separate twin beds. 
This was the family nucleus that has been ingrained in everybody's mind that we should at least feel like we have a mother and a father and two and a half children that frolic about in the front yard guarded by a white picket fence as they play with Fido the dog. But in reality, we are no longer like the Cleaver family. We're more like the Simpsons. Sometimes it seems that our families are a bit irreverent. It seems that our children are learning things that don't quite feel kosher to us. Sometimes as parents, we in the words of Homer Simpson want to let out a bellow, why you little, as we reach for the nearest child and try to strangle reason into their little bodies. Of course, I exaggerate. None of you are like that, right? But quite honestly, if I could say it in another way, we are no longer regal family oaks. All of us have kudzu running in and out of our families. We're all a little crazy because, to put it in another way, every one of us has got more than one cousin Eddie running in our family circles. Now, I've saved myself from citing that movie for eight months against every strand of my goodwill. I love Cousin Eddie. You've seen the movie National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It's Cousin Eddie that's always causing a stir, saying things that are odd and inappropriate, but also providing some wonderful comic relief. Well, Cousin Eddie and the Simpsons are the kudzu, but they're in our families too. Sometimes we can get a little discouraged thinking that we don't have the perfect family tree, but God's not in the least bit intimidated by our realities. In fact, God loves working in the kudzu. Enter the family of God, which if it's not as the case with our modern day families, it's certainly within our churches. We're just one big patch of kudzu Hyperconnectivity, somehow not even knowing how this side of the sanctuary is connected to that side of the sanctuary, but all the same, we are a family of God. This is nothing new. So I want to invite you to turn back to the scripture that was read to us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. As you turn there, I want to describe a little bit of the family of God that's represented in those opening five verses. Paul, who is a former pharisaical Jew, now Christian missionary who never married and never had any biological children, is writing one named Timothy, one he calls his beloved son, not biologically related to Paul, but his spiritual son. Timothy comes from a Jewish mother known as Eunice and a Gentile father who is not named. He also has a Jewish grandmother named Lois. So Timothy, as one who is neither truly Jew or Gentile, is not aligned or accepted by either culture. And yet... His faith is going to be represented in this conglomerate of revelations and relationships 
that is highlighted in our scripture as the family of God. God's going to use all of these people together to work for his good. He's diving headlong into the kudzu patch and is saying that I'm going to use this crazy family of God so that faith will be carried forward from generation to generation. And despite what people might say is a little bit haphazard, if not dysfunctional, These, in fact, are going to produce narratives of life that are inspiring to any and all who see them. The first thing that Paul outlines in verse 5 is this. Faith always begins at home. Faith always begins at home. Look at what verse 5 says. Paul writes, I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul is talking about how Timothy, this young pastor at the church of Ephesus, has a genuine faith. It actually is translated in the Greek as anipokritos pistios. It means a faith free of anything that would be considered hypocrisy. It was first lived, Paul writes, which actually means to be at home. You see, Timothy is the product of faith because of the investment of people who reared him in his own house, Lois and Eunice, a mother and a grandmother who were just doing their best as good Jews, no doubt, until they saw what was to be the complete revelation of faith in a relationship with Christ Jesus. They were undoubtedly for many years living out the fullness of the Shema, that ancient Jewish prayer which is recited daily by Jews and reaches its crescendo in the celebration of Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. You might recognize this scripture from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which is cited in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your heads and bound them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What we have to understand, family of God, is that if faith is to flourish, it requires people who are at home embracing the responsibility of being the first faith leaders of grandchildren and children. This is not something that can be Bypassed. It is not something that can be relegated to other people. No, for faith to flourish, it must be mamas and daddies, or stepmamas, or stepdaddies, or grandparents of some sort, or aunts and uncles that say, in this house, despite the fact that it feels like COVID, I will be intentional about telling people what faith in Jesus Christ means. It means to embody saying, I'm going to 
write this on my hands and bind it to my forehead. I'm going to impress it upon the next generation so that they will never doubt in a moment of crisis where I stand and who I am in God's view. Faith, oh friends, is not something which we can relegate to other people. So if we are to be the family of God, which he calls us to be, every parent, every guardian, every grandparent on your game, being authentic and true in regards to teaching what faith means to our children. And it's not something that requires a PhD or extensive training. It requires obedience to the Lord God Almighty and an authentic heart. Yes, faith and the family of God is reared first and foremost in the home. But the kudzu runs rampant from that point, for it doesn't just stop in the home. It runs here throughout these pews and Sunday school classes and in the youth area known as the place It's where spiritual parents come forward and shine with a mighty light that is all their own. Spiritual parents are a key component to the family of God. Those who look like Paul did to Timothy and see spiritual potential and then to that end give those who they are trying to help along in their faith journey spiritual possibility. That's at least how it worked with Paul and Timothy. In Acts chapter 16, Paul comes to Derby and he sees this young man named Timothy, one who people are speaking well about in the church. He sees in this young man all the potential, even though Timothy is much maligned for being neither truly Jew or Gentile. And yet Paul takes him under his wing and carries him forward in a missionary journey. This culminates in Acts chapter 20 when Paul has established a church in Ephesus, a church that he loved dearly, so dearly that he leaves Timothy in charge of the church He is to be a young pastor, probably from 20 to 30 years of age, ready to embrace the full weight of leadership. And perhaps, my friends, that is why Timothy, along with all the Ephesians, weep as Paul leaves. He exclaims to them, in all likelihood, even though we are forevermore the family of God, you will never see me again. And as Paul is pinning this letter in 2 Timothy, no doubt from a Roman jail, he is writing and reminiscing about Timothy's own tears, tears of a young man who saw in Paul a spiritual father and knew that he would miss him forevermore, but would also be eternally grateful for Paul saw in Timothy potential and gave him possibility. If we want the family of God to flourish, we all have to be spiritual parents of sort, integrated into this kudzu patch known as the family of God and forevermore looking at those who we see potential in and give them possibility. It's not the easiest process, but think about it in this way. 
for we have all heard things from others that we would never receive from our own parents. You, as a spiritual parent, have that voice and that opportunity to guide our youth and young people in college and young adults in such a way that they will receive something from you that perhaps they will not be able to understand from nobody else. And as they achieve, as they ascend to the moment that you have extended for them, you will have all the pride in your heart of a spiritual parent, applauding them on their way, knowing that God has used your role uniquely. So I add that while faith starts in the home, it flourishes in the church where spiritual parents are constantly looking at those with potential and giving them possibility. The last thing that I would add is that God's family celebrates the obedience of its children. Now, that's not to specify a specific age range, for we are all children of God, no matter if we're one or 93. We, as children of God, can greatly receive faith from the home and the nourishment from spiritual parents But it ultimately comes down to what we decide to do with that which we have received. If you think back upon the many lives as highlighted by Reverend Jennifer in the children's moment, these were investments being made into your very heart and mind so that you would at least have the choice of what to do with the faith that had been imparted to you. And every child of God that steps forward in obedience and says, I'm going to invest in this craziness known as the family of God. I'm going to jump headlong into the kudzu patch with Jesus Christ because I believe he can do immeasurably more. You will be celebrated. You'll be like one of the many names of people that I've heard mentioned during preparation for this series. People that were not maligned by the fact that sometimes the family of God just doesn't make sense, but continued to invest faithfully, fervently, and never gave up. Oh yes, the family of God celebrates this discipline because ultimately it's reminded our family strength is not represented in our beauty, so to speak, as in this picture, nor in its uniformity, nor in its neatness. The family of God is ultimately to be successful because it is rooted in the truth of Jesus Christ. Our strength is not our branches. Our strength is not our trunk. Our strength is the fact that all of us as children of God believe in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. One who Paul later goes on to say in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, our scripture verse for this series, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ever ask or imagine according to his power that is in that work within us. Oh, yes, it is that power that empowered Timothy to never give up when, quite honestly, many people would have, should have, 
Timothy stays true to the call of his spiritual father and the Lord and Savior who loved him. He fulfills the role of being a good soldier of Christ. He is one who's not going to give up on the good fight. He's going to see it through no matter when society and enemies malign him. He knows what his root system is. It's the family of God. It's what's anchored in the truth of the gospel that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it will be that same root system into the resurrection which will empower us both here and now and 175 more years or until Jesus comes again. So with these truths in mind, I have but one question for you. The family of God is present. It's here. It's seated in each one of our pews and our choir loft. The question for all of us, whether we're young or old, is will we invest in it? Now, folks, I need to make a differentiation here. For investment does not mean mere attendance alone. Yes, you can come and sit in a pew, but to truly invest in the kingdom and the family of God means that you are investing in the lives that are around you. You're journeying with people through death and illness and new life. You're studying God's word together. You're joining on a Wednesday night to sing the anthems of faith. You're looking to our young people and saying, you might be driving mom and dad crazy, but Darn it, if I don't see potential in you now, here's a possibility. It's one that holds babies in our nursery. It's one that comes and gives faithfully during worship because you know once an offering is given to God, it's going to be exponentially multiplied so that it does immeasurably more than all you can ever ask or imagine. So the challenge before us all today is not just to attend. The challenge is to invest. And this, my friends, is a long-term strategy. It will pay rich dividends, oh yes, but it's dividends that you will not see until you followed the course a year, a decade, a lifetime later. So for all of us today with these words of what it means to be a family of God and knowing that when we invest, we therefore live lives that inspire, may we take hold of this moment, leave behind the excuses and grab firmly to the roots of Jesus Christ and saying, because God calls me and through the power of the resurrection, I will If that is your decision today, I want to invite you to stand and sing this invitation hymn. And as you sing, it's a participatory moment, not that you just raise your voices, but perhaps you even come forward just to receive prayer, to say, Pastor, I don't want to be just an attender any longer. I want to be an investor. Can we talk? If that is your heart and mind, I'm here before you today. Let us stand and sing this, our hymn of invitation.